Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we talk to Liza Bloom and Janet Torsney from the Asbury Book Cooperative. We talk about the development and launch of the co-op, how the co-op is doing under COVID. Is anyone reading books? Although my internet connection blew up for the first 10 minutes of this interview, so I'm just guessing that is what Amy, Liza, and Janet talked about while I was gone. Welcome, Liza and Janet. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Welcome everybody to Asbury Pod. It's September 8th. Um, and what is, those of us parents in Asbury Park, which was the first day of virtual school. Um, so I've started drinking two hours ago. So I'll have to be somewhat mindful of what I say or Joe can edit it out as he's done with, with other podcasts. But uh, very excited for the Asbury Park Cooperative Book Cooperative, um, and very excited to hear from Janet Torsney and Liza and Joe. All is well with you at Rutgers. I assume it's all smooth sailing from what all the newspapers and Twitters I read about Rutgers. It seems like everything is going perfect. You're on mute, Joe. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Everything's going perfect. Exactly. As everything I'm reading says it's perfect. Yeah. It's actually much better than you would um, expect. We, we learned a lot in spring and summer, so it's not perfect, but it's um, functioning much better than I had anticipated. Um, although sometimes faculty don't, you know, um, faculty are the only people who read emails less than students are, are faculty. Yeah. So I had, a couple of faculty members missed the first week of class because school Well, started. I'll say one thing that there was a level of frustration. Um, and this I've seen with several, I'm friends with several of the teachers at Bradley. I guess they've all like mastered Zoom. And then Asbury was like, I don't know, Google Chats or whatever they're in now. I, what, what's it called, Liza? It, yeah, it's Google Classroom, but it's basically just Google Meet, which is Google's video conferencing platform. Yeah, so everybody feels like I had Zoom down, and then and then this has been switched, and I and and there very well may be a good reason why it's been switched. I, I don't I don't have any idea. I don't have an opinion on that, but I think they feel like, why did you let me master Zoom? <laughs> but and, like I said, I think we're we're doing okay. Um, you know, today was much quieter than last week. Uh, so and was think, last week your first week? Yeah, we started on Tuesday. So yeah. the first time in a long time since we that we started before Labor Day. So I think that's what threw people for a loop, uh, starting before Labor Day. And um, but I think we're okay now. 
I think getting just used to an entirely new schedule of getting up earlier, going to bed later, putting a bra on. So, you know. wait, before we started talking, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about your um, your children's sleep schedule, and I was going to say mine has this become the same. I I need to be on a, uh, online at eight thirty for work, and I used to get up at six thirty to get to my office in time, and now I sleep till like eight twenty five. Right, downstairs. so. Pre-pandemic, we were up at <laughs> seven because the, the kids had to get to Bradley at like eight, eight oh five latest. So we were certainly up at six, six, six thirty-seven. Jensen was up at seven, and then you know we managed to pull it off, and then he went to bed around eight thirty or nine. And just since the pandemic, it has absolutely creeped to nine, nine thirty. It's like nine forty now, and then eight. 815, 830. And, um, and, um, again, you know, I'm sure if I had planned on, you know, I knew he was going back to school. So I should have started putting him to bed earlier. <laughs> I just didn't think about it. Well, um, you need to start reading better books, uh, around bedtime to help him sleep better. Uh, yeah. Well, now you're also making me look like a shitty parent joke. Cause I don't read him books before he goes to bed. I let him watch TV. everybody's doing the best they can that's right (laughs) everybody (laughs) so they're still alive it's a success um so i would love for both liza and janet to kind of introduce yourselves and when i say introduce yourselves i really mean also like a little bit about your background um i think you both have super interesting backgrounds and kind of what led you to the cooperative You want to start, Janet? You go first. Okay, great. Yeah, so hi. Yeah, this is Liza, and I have lived in Asbury since 2015. I moved here from, well, I'm from the East Coast originally, from like Philadelphia suburbs, north of Philly, Bucks County area. But for about the decade before I moved back to the East Coast to Asbury, I was living in the Southwest, both in New Mexico and then Arizona. And I went out there originally um, as a volunteer for an organization that I ended up spending the next decade uh, working for. So I went out in 2008 as a volunteer for an organization called Black Mesa Indigenous Support, which was a solidarity organization that worked with a group of Navajo or Diné people who were resisting, are resisting a forced relocation from their ancestral homelands up in northeastern Arizona in like the Four Corners area, which is a really rural, remote part of the Navajo Reservation. And it's also the site of the largest coal deposit in the western United States. So since the 70s, when that coal was kind of discovered, um, they've been forcefully relocating the indigenous residents of that land base. And so a large community of people there have been resisting that relocation. So now it's been over 40 years of of resistance. And so the organization that I worked for was this like request-based solidarity organization that kind of just uh, worked to amplify their message, do fundraising. We volunteer program. We would bring in volunteers to, 
live with families out there resistantly. So that looked like a lot of different things, chopping wood, hauling water, which is a big part of their like subsistence sheep herding community. And so as a sheep herder a lot of years. Um, and but we were iteration and these doing this vein of work, sort of acting as like non-native intermediaries between that community and then like a larger group of people who are interested in volunteering. So I was doing that. I was going to graduate school um, and then eventually moved back to the East Coast. And here I've been doing what brought some... you back to the East Coast school or? No, um, just sort of, it was just sort of time. I feel like there was stuff about uh, my work out there that was wrapping up in terms of that, that particular organizing that I talked about. Um, and my partner and I are both from the East Coast originally and have some pretty like deep community and family in the like New York and Philly region and um, had a kid who's now five. And um, yeah, we just sort of, we knew we didn't want to be back in either Philly proper or New York. And I had grown up coming to the, down the shore here. And so this just, um, became a fit for us in a, in a lot of ways we'd always loved a lot about, about Asbury. And so this is where we ended up and we're super happy we did. Um, and yeah, for, for most of the time that I've been here, I've been teaching at Georgian court and then at Monmouth university, I teach, um, sociology and gender studies. Um, and I teach outside of the university settings as well. I teach with a couple sort of popular education organizations doing work mostly around racial justice. Um, yeah. And then have just gotten to get plugged in and some cool community organizing projects happening here in town and, and in the region. Um, and then I started working at the bookstore, which was words um, a few years ago, maybe three or four years ago, just in the summers, like in between semesters, I came in and I met Jan and, um, you know, and so this was kind of my summer or like in, in between semesters gig that has now transformed into my life. So yeah, that's a, that's a bit of background on me. Um, and I'm Janet Torsney. Um, I moved here in 2010. I, um, I am now a library director. That's a career changing thing for me. I've been um, the director of the Bradley Beach Library and now I'm the director of the Keyport Library. Uh, and before that, I worked as mainly as a director of public affairs for um, different UN agencies and nonprofits like um, Save the Children, the United Negro College Fund. And oh, I loved all my work. I was a consultant when my kids were young. Um, it was great. And I got involved with this because um, Jan and Scott were really ready to make a transition at the store. And so they formed a steering committee and the steering committee was the two co-owners and Liza who was working at the store at the time. And I was the um, interested party. <laughs> um, so we really planned uh, how to transition from words uh, to the co-op. It was very interesting and very um, fun. And I feel so grateful to be able to turn, you know, what was really their dream, particularly Jan's dream of having a community-based bookstore. And um, it's just a beautiful story that then it became this dream that's for the entire town, you know, that we love. And actually the region, it's surprising a lot, not maybe it's not surprising, but it was a little bit surprising to me how many um, members are from out of town. 
you know, so they love to come to Asbury, but they don't live here. So it's um, anyway, so it's just nice. It's nice to see this big dream become something really special. And as we learned, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but as we um, were doing the steering committee, we learned a lot about cooperatives. Liza already knew a lot, but the rest of us learned a lot. And one of the things we learned is that it can take forever to launch a cooperative. There are people that we um, were uh, kind of studying and they'd been five, 10 years and the cooperative still hadn't taken off. So Jan um, was so generous. Jan and Scott were so generous in the transition and made it so easy um, that we were really able to get off to a head start. So that's and my- just for our listeners who do, well, first I have to say one thing. I don't think people in this town know 25% of the amount of things that Jan does for it, how many kids she supports, yeah. um, you know, how much time she's spent keeping that bookstore afloat, how, how often she's mentoring um, young kids in Esbury Park. So uh, we have a podcast on Jan um, from probably right before the pandemic, maybe a few months before the pandemic, and it's great, so people should listen to that. Um and speaking of a cooperative, so I didn't, I mean, I joined the cooperative, but I didn't know what a cooperative is. So Liza, can you just take maybe some of our listeners who don't know what a cooperative is through what a cooperative is? Yes, I can. But I want to talk about Jan for a second, too, if that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Jan is like the most supportive person I have ever met in my life, probably. She's just this incredibly accomplished, yeah, like community leader, business leader. She's had incredibly successful career in finance and consulting. And she is just like relentless with her, um, yeah, with like her generosity and her giving and her building up other people. And that's so true. People don't know, yeah, the half of sort of what she kind of does behind the scenes. It was, you know, when I met her, I didn't know, obviously, her whole story, but getting to know her and work with her over the years, I was constantly just like blown away. People who would stop in the store regularly to, you know, thank her for things she's done or projects she's supported or donations she made or whatever it was. And it was just nonstop. It was just ongoing. And she like feeds the cat, stray cats in her neighborhood. I mean, she's just an incredible person. We could talk about she's her the whole person. time. And, 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 and I, then it's, uh, you, I was just going to say, and like, I don't know that people know how much she does for the youth of Esbury Park, whether right. it's oh like God, yeah. paying books or college tuition or ensuring that she writes a letter of recommendation or, um, you know, giving you a jobs. compliment, yeah, or giving you jobs, um, yeah. Joe, you've missed us spending the last five to ten minutes crushing on Jan Sparrow. I know, yeah. oh, but I'm she, sorry I know that, she, yeah. and it's fun to do because she's not here. If she was here, she would shut it down right away. So we I was just oh, going to say totally. she would not go for this at all <laughs> and be super irritated that we were even saying these things. Totally. Totally. Yes, but but Janet's totally, totally right in saying that the the pace at which this transition happened would have been in no way possible without Jan and Scott like really just one hundred percent supporting it and backing it in every way possible, you know, financially with their um, time and energy and resources, just everything. So ABC exists because of, of Jan and Scott and because of their 
um, support. So, so yes. So you asked about, you know, what, what is a cooperative generally? And there are all different kinds of cooperatives, but essentially they are businesses that exist to be um, controlled by the people who use the good or service that the, that the business is providing. And they get to be uh, sort of driven businesses that are driven by values, not just profits. And they generally are sort of these values forward organizations and businesses that again, benefit the people who use them. Um, some cooperatives are worker owned cooperatives. So the employees of the cooperative own actual, actually own the business and share whatever profits might come in. We are a member run cooperative or what's sometimes called a consumer cooperative, meaning that the consumers are, are the ones who are um, getting to be the decision making body. So in, in our case, anyone can become a member of the cooperative, either by buying a membership, um, by volunteering in some cases, and members get all kinds of perks and goodies, things like discounts and tickets to events and access to member sales and um, better rates for exchanging their used books. Just there's all kinds of things that that members get in that sense. And, and some people just use it for that, you know, use their membership for those things, which is great. And we welcome it. But the other element of that is that members also get a vote. Every member, no matter what sort of level of membership they're bought in at, um, each member gets one vote at our annual meeting during which we elect the board of directors. So members are nominating themselves or other members to a board and then electing themselves or other members to serve on that board for a one or two year term. So the whole thing becomes member run, community run, and, and the board is the decision making body. And there's lots of volunteer committees that kind of shoot out of that. Um, but that's the basic model for ours. And Janet, maybe you want to add on to that. Yeah, I would just add two things. One, um, the volunteering is an important part of um, being part of the cooperative. I mean, it's optional. No one has to volunteer, but we really want people to be able um, to enrich our experience and their experience by bringing all their expertise. And we're um, now we're at about um, 300 members and of more than 40 people are active volunteers. So we're very happy about that. And we've learned so much from people. Not only do they, you know, wrangle the cardboard or deliver the books, um, but they've really been helpful on things like marketing and um, other stuff that we you know, wouldn't necessarily have the expertise for. Um, and I think that's a really important uh, kind of outreach for our community as a whole is that the cooperative, um, they say the, the cooperatives, particularly bookstore cooperatives, because you're so close to your consumer, um, you reflect the consumer in all different kinds of ways. So it's very deep. And we really um, wanted to get that going even more than we have, um, but COVID kind of uh, stalled our outreach. And I would just like to shout out one uh, other group. We have this wonderful people, there are 14 of them who just donated money from the beginning, and it was a leap of faith actually to become a member, but for the people that donated um, outright, I, they're just, were so generous. We didn't give them, we didn't give them anything, did we, Liza? Like, I don't even, they didn't get particularly discounts, you know, they got- We gave them tote bags. <laughs> excuse me, they got tote bags. <laughs> but it was such, and it was a really important thing, you know, because we didn't know how many members we would get or, what our costs would be. We had a good idea, but these kind of donors really help. So I'm going to add that too. Um, and I also, people often ask about whether we're a nonprofit and we're not. Um, 
we chose not to be actually because we really want to be this consumer-based uh, cooperative that has all these other virtues that we talked about, about working together. Now you know everything about so you know. I, 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 <laughs> as, as someone who As someone who owns every uh, coffee mug and tote bag ever given out by WNYC, I support that kind of <laughs> membership initiative. So. Why isn't yeah, well, NYC hiring us, Joe, and paying us big bucks to do this podcast? So, Liza and Jenna, uh, those of you who ever listen to NPR, uh, clearly Amy does not listen to NPR. She thinks that's where the big radio money is. And I, and I said, you know, that the model is that you give money to NPR. They do not give money. <laughs> um, but sure, if you want to put us on after Brian Lehrer, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's my favorite. Yeah. So the, the couple of things I, w- I, w- I just want to touch on that you both touched on, um, the people who are part of the cooperative, as somebody who's part of it and was on a call within the last like two months, tons of people I didn't know, tons of people not in Asbury Park. And also, just so you guys know, it, our city manager's sister or sister-in-law is in the cooperative. So when I'm at that meeting, I'm like, Donna, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on I'm in this cooperative and there's a woman named Viera. Is that your, who is that? And she said, you know, it's my sister-in-law. So I thought that was kind of uh, really interesting. And um, the other thing I thought was really interesting about the cooperative is that like you opened like, like right at the pandemic or it felt like, was it like February or was it actually March? Mm -hmm. And I was at one of your first meetings because Dan Jacobson's written nothing um, but about the cooperative on quite literally every Tri-City News, um, which is so good for you because that reach is amazing. But it's like, Dan, like every single month is on this cooperative. Bless, bless, bless you. But every is, is, Dan, is Dan a member or is that his volunteer activity? Too? He is a, He's a member. member right? <laughs> oh. sure I beat, I'm beating him up. And now, you know, I'm going to I'm going to regret that. But I'm beating him up and he is a member. I have to say, too, I hate to blow his cover, but he is a really good man. He's, and he's <laughs> all I have to say. He's like, he's when I say really to people, like, he's a thoughtful, I know he comes off and is writing this, like, stuff in the paper, but he's he's a very thoughtful person in, in many ways. And and I also have to give him credit, and I don't know about other towns because I don't know politics in other towns or, or issues of other towns. But in Asbury Park, he very, very often has his finger on the pulse of what is happening, whether it's um, lot by lot or whatever the issues that are going on in town, short-term rentals, uh, the pool club. He, he, whether you agree with his opinion or not, he, he has thought through all sides, has concluded what side he is on, and is pushing you know, that agenda, for lack of a better word. But it's always been thoughtful. We also had Dan Jacobson on, who I believe, so our two highest listens, not that I want to make you two feel competitive, um, but I'm going to make you competitive, Janet, because one of the highest listens is Hannah. My girl. Your girl. (laughs) Your girl is one of our highest listens, and one of our, certainly in the top five, is Dan Jacobson. Yeah. Yeah, no, that we are really appreciative of of Dan's support and interest in it yeah it's, it's a little bit surprising and sometimes feels like um embarrassing but it's not, but mostly we just appreciate it you know it also so has much. and he, it does seem to hit oh yeah it does seem to hit a lot of sort of his crossover 
interests. You know, I've gotten to know a little bit about his background through his interest in it and his, um, you know, he, he lived in a, in co-op housing when he was in an undergrad at, at Berkeley and he has some interest in sort of, um, alternative economics and things like that. So he, the cooperative has sort of sparked some of his own personal interest too. So I think that's part of his ongoing coverage of us is he's kind of like, let's see how this, let's see what happens here. Amy, you Dan started to also mention. Hates, oh, I was just going to say good. last point on Dan. He, he also like hates hypocrisy. So if he thinks like you're good people doing a good cause that's going to benefit the community, he's all in. It's when he sees hypocrisy, he, he will, you know, he, he'll call it out repeatedly, you know, often. Um, but I think for a cause like what the cooperative, I think, I think it's clear it's run by um, really lovely and active and community minded people. And, and the benefit is, you know, I don't even think we're beginning to see the benefit which is going to be amazing. And I'm sorry, I cut you off, Joe. No, no, I, uh, but you, you had raised a point um, that the co-op opened right before the pandemic. So, you know, as the, you, you, so you get a crash course on how to survive it like a, a catastrophe, right? So you know, what was the, so how did the, the books, it seems to me the co-op has done well and even thrived from the, at least from my perspective um, as a member from the outside. I'm not, I haven't attended meetings because I'm usually not available, but um and you've done some really creative stuff and expanded the offerings and events of the bookstore. Am, am, I, am I reading that correctly? It seems to me like you, you've had a very good, uh, as best can be, experience managing this, this sort of turbulence. Yeah, Janet, feel free to jump in if you want. But yeah, I um, think that's, that's right on. I mean, part of it was sort of dumb luck in terms of timing in that we started planning for the transition a year ago, May, so 2019. And like Janet said, you know, it got really fast tracked to a certain, at a, at a certain point where we we're just like, okay, this is happening, you know, we're doing this and really had a lot of the groundwork laid by, um, like we started our membership drive in late November of 2019 and things just like kind of kept rolling and rolling from there. And we had a lot of groundwork laid for our first board election, for example, which took place over the month of April, um, setting up the infrastructure for committees, things like that. And, and that has really powered us through, you know, the, the pandemic in a lot of ways, because we, we had at the time of the shutdown in March, you know, we had over 200 members. So we had this sort of built-in base of support. And I think that there was obviously still, but in those early moments of quarantine and the pandemic, there was just so much uncertainty. Um, and people did really, I think, take a moment to evaluate kind of like what is important to them and be a little bit more intentional about who and what they're supporting. And so not only did we have our, our, our membership kind of leaning in to that, you know, and, and wanting actively to support us. But we definitely saw a lot of new customers turning over from sites like Amazon or other types of like corporate bookstores um, to say, I, I actively want to seek out, you know, independent businesses. I actively want to seek out like the sort of values driven businesses in this moment, maybe for the first time, you know, so Again, a lot of things that we could never have predicted, but converged 
I think you're saying accurately in a, in a kind of, um, yeah, a, a certain kind of support. And I think it was also very lucky or, or timely, I shouldn't say lucky, that we um, really amped up the online sales on the one hand, um, so people could do that more easily. And I think the genius of the uh, delivery also. I was um, I was waiting for somebody to bring up the delivery because really my friend great. Patricia Patton was like, oh, my God, they delivered during this pandemic, which was a lifesaver for her. And just so, and, you know, and it, like all that and being part of this, I think it was so nice to be part of something that was optimistic and constructive and it just made you feel good, you know? So all Liza's merry band on their bicycles going throughout the town or again, you know, being able to say no to Amazon and just get your book um, is great. So it was lucky that we did, or as I say, timely that we had the um, back end going. Um, and as far as what we lost, maybe I would again just say that we would have done a lot more outreach. Like it was very enjoyable doing those um, meetings in the beginning to meet people who were interested in the cooperative and find out what they wanted. And we really um, had to cut that off just when we were starting to do more. But then also Liza got, has organized really great events, especially as people are more comfortable with being, um, you know, outside the store and now even inside. I don't know if you've actually done anything inside the store, but, you know, these events out on the street have been great. Well, one of my questions, Liza, is about kind of what I'm, what we're all seeing in terms of your vision of, um, community resources in the store and poetry nights and readings and, and, or outside the store. And, and prior to the pandemic, um, you know, there was like a marijuana education talk and, you know, just kind of some really interesting things. Um, so kind of, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing and, and, and that vision moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, part of the beauty of the cooperative, I mean, Janet referenced this earlier, is that we get to really just reflect our membership, you know? And so we don't, we do, we have an incredible events committee, people who work really hard on, on generating and executing events, but to a certain degree, we don't have to generate events because we have our membership, we have our base, we have our customers bringing things to us that they're interested and that to me that is just like not like chef's kiss is what i just did i know we're in an audio format so that doesn't translate <laughs> um that's like the pinnacle to me of this right is that this cooperative becomes pe people feel ownership over it in all types of ways right that this is their space okay i want to start a poetry open mic i know that i don't i'm not going to need to scrounge up a bunch of funds to like rent out a venue once a month or something like that. Like I know that I have access to this space and I can sort of generate something here or yeah, I want to promote my research on marijuana and baby boomers. Like I can like host an information session on that. And so we really, really just get to um, reflect our, our people in a lot of ways, which feels super exciting. And I think one of the things that's, rising to the surface a bit more is the kind of like racial justice, social justice. Um, I don't know, kind of like schools of thought that have underpinned a lot of, of sort of how we've thought about the cooperative in terms of being a community project, a, a project that promotes economic democracy, that promotes community building, that promote social justice in town, like that has really also accelerated to a degree after the kind of uprising to the murder of George Floyd back in 
late May and then everything that's kind of come from that. And so there's been um, this opportunity, I would say, to get a little bit clearer on our values in that regard. Like people are actually wanting us to like have clear values sort of around um, things like racial justice or gender justice or, you know, whatever it might be. And I just feel so incredibly lucky to be in a place where we just, where we just get to sort of unapologetically have those values, right. And have our membership sort of want that from us and ask that from us. Um, So that is, that is not your question, but that is one of my absolute like favorite and most valued parts of, of being a part of this. I agree. And also, you know, the, the helping people um, also find each other, you know, so there's people, uh, people are really finding their people at the cooperative, people who are committed to social justice, people are interested in books, people want to improve their community. Um, it's been really nice to f- see people who've been somewhat isolated to come together through the cooperative, you know, for the benefit of everybody. Totally. One of the surprising um, things that have come out of the COVID um, when, I, when I was looking up some research for today, the articles in March and April were all gloom and doom about bookstores. You know, we saw that you saw the title like, well, books will never be the same, blah, blah, blah. Now the articles in, you know, June, July, August are about the vibrancy of small independent bookstores like Raven bookstores and Raven bookstore in Kansas, you know, Powell's and Strand have reopened and other stores just like the co-op doing things like delivery within five miles, online sales that they'd never done before. And um, so it's an interesting, you know, the, the dynamic you talk about in with, within the co-op is being re, um, replicated with small bookstores around the country, perhaps in the same way, because there's maybe there's a comfort zone with books like in our neighborhood bookstore. Right. Uh, and maybe there's a, you know, since we buy everything else in Amazon, so at least I can get a book from a person, um, you know, uh, and I don't know if that's, you know, I'm sure Amazon's, Amazon is clearly not hurting, but I, I found the fact that so many bookstores have made it through it this far and seem to be doing well is an interesting uh, dynamic. And I don't know if I have any greater point than that, but. Well, uh, the one thing I'm going to, can I relate something to that point? What I've noticed, Liza and Janet is, so I have been part of Jan's book club for 10 plus years. Um, and it's it, the only book I read is the book club book every month, but I read 12 books, books a year. Um, what has been interesting to me is what seems like, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but a little bit of the revival of the book club. And I love the themes. Like when, when you were talking about, I saw a feminist book club and I thought, well, if I wasn't, you know, already in this book club that I, I will stay in until it's gone with Janet. Um, and then I saw kind of a social justice and I saw an LGBTQ book club and I was like, oh my God, I would love to sit in a book club and talk about feminism or LGBTQ issues or racial justice issues. So I love that kind of, um, narrowed down to certain topics, but level of book club. And I'm, and as somebody who's been in, in Jan's book club for 10 plus years, if not 15, um, we were the only we were it. There was no other book club in in town. And and if you you and as you both know, you can't get more than eight to twelve members because then people it, it just doesn't work as a book club anymore. Mm-hmm. So so seeing all these book clubs pop up in the topics, I you know I just I, I love seeing it. I am I'm excited about it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's that's absolutely right. Is that people during quarantine were really finding book clubs online, you know, as a site as a site of community and community building and connection. And it's also an example of what we were talking about earlier, where our members are bringing those to us. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'd like to start a feminist book club." Was started by two women who are members here. And we're like, "Absolutely!" You know, so we, you know, create this space for that. Same with all the other ones you listed: the crime book club, the the queer book club, like all of it. Um, and so that that has been that's been really wonderful and definitely just a, a source of of community building and bringing that out. But I think also it, it's true what you were saying, Joe, as well that people you know, we're turning away from, from Amazon and things like that for their book buying during pandemic. That wasn't, that's not unique to us. That, that was a trend among independent bookstores in part because Amazon was deprioritizing book sales, you know, and, and like obviously doing medical supplies, things like that. But also, you know, again, like I said earlier, I think there was this moment of like, okay, let me just, let me take stock here. Let me evaluate um, what's important to me and and my neighborhood bookstore having a place right having a community space like that is going to um, beat out Amazon you know any day of the week in some ways even though they you might not be able to get a book for quite as cheap all the other things that Amazon could never give you you know you start to really take stock of just the way that people were like calling old friends you know during during lockdown and things like that and just being like wow like let's let's make these connections where we can people getting to a sense of like what is really valuable and what is really precious to them. And it was, it was heartening to us to see that independent bookstores and community spaces were certainly one of those things that rose to the top. Can I ask you, have there been any trends that you've seen dur- during the pandemic, during the quarantine? Like are people, I know Janet at our book club this week, you talked about um, romance novels being your, your like escape. I talked about, um, documentaries um Rita talked about was it sci-fi it was something that we were all like what um of what she's kind of reading so are have you guys noticed within the pandemic requests trends and things like that that's over to Liza I would say um I've always just I love doing orders like taking people's orders because yeah I'm always just amazed at the diverse range of things that people read. I would say maybe there was some trending towards maybe slightly more um, escapist genre type fiction, like sci-fi or fantasy or romance, you know, that, that type of stuff. But the most notable trend, um, again, not unique to us, was during the sort of uprisings after the murder of George Floyd, you know, where there was, there were protests every night in cities and people were really taking some time, a lot of them for the first time to try and grapple with systemic racism, uh, police violence, you know, all of this stuff, just trying to place that in a larger context. And so we saw this massive uptick that hasn't fully swung down all the way to mix metaphors there um and people wanting wanting books uh, around systemic racism um so yeah so that that is the biggest trend i would say somewhat related to the pandemic at least during the pandemic 
That was, it was really hard to keep in stock and get them anywhere, right? I mean, it was, even the booksellers were sold out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because it exposed some, um, some characteristics of like the publishing industry and things like that too, you know, it's like whose books were available and, um, and, and whose weren't and and whose were backlogged and all these days. So yeah. So it was a very interesting moment to be in this, in this industry for sure. I think Liza, you talked a a little bit about what sounds like really excites you, which is uh, the membership kind of reflecting either the book clubs or, or the meetups and things like that. So one of our questions um, from Jan was what were like, what are your favorite things about the cooperative? And also like what, what, like if you had to narrow down, what was one of the biggest challenges about the cooperative? And that can go to either one of you. And I feel like you're both pausing like, mm. <laughs> what's well, that question? Well, I, I feel like I talked You go for it, Janet. Um, oh, sorry. And you, okay, you can hear me now. Um, I would say my favorite thing is really this bringing people together and um, reflecting all their interests and everything from book sales, book buying to meetings and programs. Um, and for me, the most challenging thing. Um, was not being able or kind of stalling our outreach. Um, we really want to do a lot more to reach out to the West side in particular, um, to the schools. Uh, we wanted to have more members, you know, and it's fine. Also for one thing, um, our sales have been great, right? They exceeded uh, word sales for the same period last year a lot. So that it, it's, um, it hasn't been a bad thing for cooperative growth, but for me, that's, that's what I kind of miss. How about you, Liza? Yeah, I think my my favorite thing is just like I get to be around books and I get to talk about books and I get to talk about things that I care about and I get to just like personally have this job where I work with people who I really enjoy and feel aligned with to a great degree. Um, I get to feel like a lot of my interests and passions come together in this place, both around community building and around sort of art and literary ideas and politics. So I just, I feel like I have the best job in the world right now. Um, And then in terms of challenges, I mean, like, yeah, I'm super proud of it. I mean, we had a full on board election during quarantine, you know, and like successfully elected a board. Um, We did it. I feel like there's the challenges are we're, we're kind of rising to them in a lot of ways, even though, yeah, they are challenging, but I feel like what Janet said is true. That face-to-face outreach is really critical. And um, in terms of just like membership drives and, and raising awareness around the cooperative and um, a lot, a lot of that can happen online, but there are huge parts of our communities that aren't as like comfortable in online spaces or as tech savvy or whatever it might be. And so that does feel like a challenge or something of a missed, something that we're missing right now is just like getting FaceTime with people and getting those connections. We'll get it. <laughs> so is the growth, is the growth plan for the co-op to get so big that we take over the space that the bike churches and then have a, 
a pal's book size store over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That would, <laughs> that would be cool. I, I mean, I would like to have, yeah, I would like to have used books in another location too. I, who knows? I don't know if there's a lot of possibilities. Well, you mentioned sales. Like you, um, one of the other that one that corresponds with some other data. So, like Magic City Books in Tulsa, Oklahoma, did three months of sales each month over the the corresponding time of last year, 2019. So, in the middle of the pandemic, book sales are oddly enough uh, thriving. I hope. And um, so, the um, you know the how this pans out over the year would be interesting to see. And um, trying to. We'll get down to our next question here. Amy uh, abandoned her post for a second. Um, oh, so I, Jen, I had a question. You're involved in li- how are libraries coping? That's your other hat. Yeah, it's tricky, you know, because um, it's tricky. <laughs> I mean, it's we'll very tricky. At, we'll leave it at I that. I mean, you know, there are taxpayer um, institutions that should be 100% open to people, but can't be because of safety. So, um, you know, people are really struggling and librarians in general are, you might not know this, but are a little subversive. They um, want to help people. They're not the best at following rules. And now we have to be like, really, this is the rule. This is that. So it's interesting. But again, and similar to the co-op, it's interesting to find um, all these, you know, like story time at 10 o'clock in the morning. Maybe it's not the best thing for parents to drag their kids out. Maybe it would have been better if it was online always. And you know, pick up curbside pickup that works for a lot of people. So it's interesting. It's the most democratic institution in our country. People love libraries. Oh, I'm a the end of my commercial. <laughs> no, I, I have a stack of late library books that I'm, I'm proud to rotate annually. So yes, everyone needs to be supporting <laughs> their libraries all the time. Absolutely. Um, can we talk a little bit about since, um, you're both very interesting people. And I think um, our listeners would be interested in kind of your favorite books, your favorite writers, your favorite genres, your favorite movies. Not to like pile on, go. Did did you say movies at the end? Well, I did add movies because we always ask everybody what their favorite movie is because like, so I'll give you an example and it shouldn't be surprising to me, but Tommy Arnone is the director the Freehold director and like an old, old time, old time Italian. He's like Rocky, right? And we're like, oh, oh great, of course, of course it's Rocky. <laughs> um, Diane Shelton was coming to America. I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting hearing what people's favorite movies are, but we're going to stick first with books, genres, and writers. And then if you have um, a movie or series, we would love for you to talk about that. And just so you know, the, the reason I'm asking these questions is when Joe and I started this podcast, we were really trying to humanize um, specifically city workers, but also characters around town. Um, but we were trying to get people uh, up to speed a little bit on local government, the differences between planning and zoning, um, why you shouldn't spit at our code officer, please stop spitting at our beach utility since we're not allowing you onto the beach. So the idea initially stemmed from 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 trying to, you know, humanize city employees and also explain to people local government, and then um, and and also highlighting characters around town. And then COVID hit, and it really kind of um, switched a little bit of our not that we have a clear mission now. I don't know that we've ever had a clear mission, but um, switched a little bit about what we talked about. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right, you're asking, about, are you asking books, favorite ladies, books? I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm on a big nonfiction kick. I'm, I just love nonfiction. I'm kind of a self-help junkie a little bit. Like I'll read anything that has to do with like attachment theory and trauma and all of that (laughs) stuff. It's a little bit much, but, um, like I love some like Brene Brown, you know, but yeah, no. So I'll toggle between, sort of like political theory or critical race theory and feminism and then like some self-help that's about where I'm at. And actually, but right now I'm reading something that's a little out, like I don't tend to dip into genre stuff typically. And I would love to like expand a little bit more. I read a lot of memoir too. I love memoir. Um, and but right now I'm reading like something that's slightly out of character for me, but it's amazing and I highly recommend it. It's a, the memoir of Ali Wong, who's a comedian, and it's called Dear Girls, and it's like her memoir, but it's in the form of letters to her two young daughters. I mean, they're like very young; they can't even read, but she's writing it to them as adults. And I love Ali Wong. Yeah, it's delightful. And I also love memoir. So I don't know if you were in the book club, Janet, when might've been a little bit before your time where we were asked to pick the book. Jan was like sick of picking the book every month. And so she wanted us to pick the book. And my favorite book is Mary Carr Liars Club, but we had read that. So I was like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. My second favorite book was Lucy Greeley's autobiography. I was there for that. Right. So, and as somebody who was in a car accident when they were young and struggled kind of through this car accident, I, I love that book on so, so many levels beyond thinking Lucy Gurley is just the most brilliant writer or was the most brilliant writer. So when we were picking these book and I picked this book like 10 or 12 years ago, everybody was like, oh, this was book was a downer. And, oh my God, why'd you pick this book? And then it was like, I really saw, I really saw and felt what Jan felt every month having to pick right. the book because everybody had an opinion on the book I picked. Um, some positive, some negative, as they should. I had an opinion on the, on the other 11 books that were picked. Um, but it, I found it to be this weird kind of raw, um, revealing thing about yourself that I wasn't, we had never done before, we have never done since. <laughs> um, that was the only year we did that. Uh, and, I, and I found it to be, you know, that was, that was, it was hard to be like, okay, this is my favorite book. This is a hard book, but I just, there's so much about this book that I love. Yeah. I remember that. That was interesting, but I do a lot of book clubs, so it doesn't bother me to have people, you know, whether they like it or don't like it. I just like to avoid the awkwardness of (laughs) deciding. Um, But I read a lot of fiction actually in general. And as Amy revealed, my stress read is to read romance novels on my Kindle. So if it's got Duke in the title, I'm reading it. Um, A little repetitive though. I'm sorry to tell you people, (laughs) but my um, favorite author uh, for sure is Myra Kalman. Um, And of her books, it's uh, principles of uncertainty is my favorite of all her books. And she's an illustrator too. She's really wonderful. Um, and I just recently read all the Harry Potters backwards because um, I felt like it, they like it, they get so gloomy as you go through them. I wondered what it would be like to read them from end to beginning. Um, it was interesting. Um, 
And that's it. I just read Hamnet. I don't know if you guys have read that. That's a novel about um, Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, that died and maybe, maybe inspired Hamlet, maybe didn't. Um, but it was a very beautiful book. Um, but it made you, and it made me realize that the play of Hamlet is, from a plot point of view, kind of a hot mess, which I hadn't oh. noticed before. <laughs> oh my God, so. it's, it's, it's crazy. It, truly, like, it's like, what? Yeah, I mean, is it actually just bad? You know, some nice that, speeches, but it might be just bad overall. Right. Very good language, right? But right. otherwise you're like, what? No, who? <laughs> well, I think you mentioned Mary Carr. I, didn't, I haven't read Liar's Club, but I did like uh, Lit is one of my favorite books. Uh, Liar's Club is like knock your socks off and amazing. Um, and you should read Autobiography of My Face. I mean, Lucy Greeley is like, I, I, she, she's obviously had a many, but certainly one huge, terrible trauma. And she's still right. really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. But that I was so um, concerned or whatever about Ann Patchett's book about her. I found the whole thing very unsettling. I, I did I, as well. I, I did as well. Um, I did as well. And I did as well. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> um, um, Good. My, I would say if I had to pick like favorite writers, my three, and it's funny, I'm like, oh yeah, they are all nonfiction writers. Um, would be Annie Dillard, James Baldwin, and Maggie Nelson would be some of my favorites. And then I have a poet who I just really adore. I mean, a lot of poets that I really don't, but if I had to like pick a favorite poet, there's a woman, Alina Kalatayek Davis, who I really love too. So I do read poetry as well. That I have to give a shout out to Haiku Master Busan, who I revere. He's a um, 18th century haiku master, and I read him every day. No, I, I, always, cool. uh, I think an interesting book discussion would be, um, anymore because we're running out of time. Because once we start talking about books, we could be here for hours. But I always wanted to ask people what, what books did you like in your 20s that you hate now? Oh, that's such Reading, a good question. Like, I used to love Jack Kerouac, and now I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um, I, used, I used to read Danielle Steele, and now I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was. I always think. Well, you know, this. I there's a couple writers that I was really into. I was like so into them now. And as an, maybe yeah. like you think as an adult. Oh no! Like, yeah. like I lost my mind though. So I read a lot of like Edward Abbey in my twenties, and that that I would find super problematic now. Like I, I would like cr- like cringe. I feel like in terms of like race and gender politics. Mm-hmm. Thinking back, but I was on. I went through a big kick with him in my tw- early twenties, maybe. There's two or three lesbian writers, and I should have had them at the tip of my tongue when we did this. That I and and similar to you, Janet, they like they write lesbian detective books where whatever happens with the women come <laughs> together, um, which is not the genre of lesbian that I grew up with. Nobody ended up usually ended up dead or raped or divorced God. or something. Um, and there's a genre of lesbian that is probably similar to what you're describing in terms of romance that I can just, I can read 10 of the same thing and just be like, oh, <laughs> they end up together. Um, can we also just touch on um, movie uh, movies and series that you guys are watching and or why? Well, I'll start. So I'm watching Lovecraft Country and oh, I am how is loving that? it. So super, super good. I mean, you have to pay attention. It's not like something I can answer emails and watch. Um, which sometimes I, I just like being able to answer emails and watch, but this um, I'm utterly and completely digging it. 
Um, I'm also watching a series called, um, and this I do answer emails, um, called <laughs> Unwell or Unwellness on Netflix, which is systematically kind of going through these, and I don't want to say fads because I think they're really honest about it, but essential oils, um, breast milk for adults, um, you know, just all of these kind of, um, this drug Acopachi, which I'm saying I'm doing a terrible, I have not remotely said that incorrectly. Um, just these different kind of fads and I don't, and fads is also the wrong word. But these various quackeries, right? Well, I think that's probably the wrong word as well, but <laughs> it, it describes it in ways that are like, okay, like it, it gives you the good, the bad and the ugly of these kind of um, things that have come down the pike over the years. And I'm watching that. I'm, that isn't riveting that, that I watch while I'm answering emails. Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, I would say, is actually actually riveting. And then I say all the time, my favorite movie is a movie called Bound, where, which was the first lesbian movie where they ended up together. Gina Gershon. Not dead. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very sexy. Very sexy, oh, right? And, sexy. and honestly, Jennifer Tilly. I mean, it was yeah, like, Right, I'd forgotten, absolutely. Oh, either one of them. They're Hot. both <laughs> amazing looking. I digress. On to movies. Um, I just watched Mulan, which I loved. I loved the live action Mulan. And um, also Bill and Ted's um, whatever their newest adventure is. Which, you know, to be honest, I wanted to like a lot more than I did. <laughs> but I was really glad to see it and see the daughters. That should have um, been the name of it. Whatever that Bill, Bill and Ted, whatever, whatever adventure. <laughs> and I've been, I just, I totally missed the boat on Schitt's Creek. And I've been watching that. And I, it's so funny. I'm going to I'm start, I'm going to start Schitt's Creek because so many people have told me. It's it so fun. It's and fun. it's only a half an hour. So it's so enjoyable. That's my I love that the whole like waiting for Guffman crew, like the Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. Yes, that was so fun. I watched actually this year. I watched The Sopranos for the very first time, and it was incredible. Believe the hype. I'm sure you've all seen it, but it was so I've not, good. Such I've not an seen it. Incredible watching experience. Okay, I feel like well, who hasn't in New Jersey seen it? And it's, yeah, my family's all seen it like eight times. And yeah, I, just, I, I, I mean, 10 years ago, but yeah, I absolutely it. watched it. Yeah. Um, so that was a really neat experience. But I like, I like sort of waiting. Like, I've never watched Game of Thrones. Like, I like waiting till things are all done and then you can kind of go through them when you need to. Except for I did feel a little bit left out. Like, when people were doing the watch parties and stuff for Game of Thrones, I was like, wah, wah. Um, <laughs> I just watched the Action Park documentary on HBO. So did I. Action Park. Really interesting. And did you go to Action great. Park? Because I used to go to Action Park. No, Not regularly, no, but I went a few times. Were like, yeah, my cousins grew up in North Jersey, and so they have stories about it, but we it wasn't like our go-to. We were in yeah Pennsylvania, but so the, yeah, they and they were, they're like a few years older than me, too, so they were right at that age where that, that was there world um yes that was really good i spent a lot of time uh, at action park it was crazy it shows joe mm-hmm. I, I, did I you see have, the documentary i haven't watched it because i you know i loved it and i'm also like i think i got injured <laughs> a couple who didn't get injured at you know, action park yeah. jump off a 50 foot cliff sure and like you well, know uh, or do the kamikaze slide where you had the runs for two weeks after yes did, did yeah. you get injured amy at action park 
Uh, no, I wouldn't say injured, but you know, I, I walked out of there limping a couple times. Um, and my sister bungee jumped there and tried to convince me and um, my best friend Mandy to bungee jump. And thankfully, we didn't meet the um, the height requirement, or else she would have totally pushed me into doing it. Um, but I, they, there, there was this huge kamikaze slide that. You, it was so long and so high that water went so far into you that you just limped away for hours, if not days. Um, wow. Can I bring up one other one other series that I watched this summer, and I know I brought it up, Janet, during book club was, um, and I thought it was so brilliant and so well done, which was Disclosure, which uh, described the way trans women have been depicted over the years in films, which has been horrifying. Um, and, and also, it was really you know, it really showed me like the crying game and, and movies that I had thought fondly of and how that over time has really harmed the trans community. And I would love for them to do that, you know, in terms of women and lesbian and, you know, gay men. And, and they just did such a brilliant job in, in showing how our media has consistently portrayed uh, the trans community as hiding something or secretive or, um, you know, abnormal in some way. And it's been portrayed over the years. Um, and and how that has resulted uh, on some level in the shocking amount of violence that 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 um, hits that community. So that was the other thing that I've watched within the last couple of months that stuck with me. And I thought, oh my god, that's really. Um, I wish there was more of these describing it in, in other genres as well. Hmm. All right, we are at seven thirty-two, everybody. So I'm going to cut it. Joe, do you have any last <laughs> questions? No, I, I apologize that my internet uh, broke for the first 10 minutes of this. Uh, so I, my apologies. But I have questions for, um, you know, are there dates, uh, you know, for and Jenna on the way out, are there dates coming up that you want us to uh, mention while we're here? Something to keep in mind or events? Um, we have actually, we're doing a big pitch. We're starting in November. We're going to have membership renewal. So all those really generous people, if they want to scoop us and renew their membership before we pester them, We'd love that. How about you, Liza? Yeah, Anything else? absolutely. Yeah, well, there's a full docket of like book clubs this month, which people should definitely check out. We have a collaborative book club with Asbury Lanes. It's a music-themed book club. And this is exciting. On the 12th of September, um, <clears throat> folks will get together to discuss the book Greetings from Bury Park, which is the inspiration for the film Blinded by the Light. And at the Baronet at the Asbury Hotel, and then they'll do a special screening of um, Blinded by the Light. And I think, I think I can say this is that the author is going to um, be there virtually, maybe answering questions or, or things like that. So that'll be a super exciting event, but you have to register for that. So you can head over to our website, asburybookcoop.org slash event for the details. And on the 26th, we have an author event that folks should come to in the store with Lucy Dickinson. On the 29th, we have a um, Zoom panel discussion with two authors, Kim Powers, who's local and has published a, a novel recently called Rules for Being Dead. He'll be in conversation with um, Susan McNeil, who's a prolific author of a series of, of um, mystery novels. And so they'll be in conversation with one another about both their latest releases and that is fully online. And so same thing, you can have, head over to the events calendar on our website to find like all the information to join those. Awesome. 
You guys are reading on uh, for the Crime Book Club this month. Uh, one of my favorite books, In a Lonely Place. I picked that up accidentally a couple of years ago, and it's one of the most inter- one of the best books I've read in a while. And I can't make the uh, the book club on on Thursdays, but you know, if you're listening, that is a good read. And don't watch the Humphrey Bogart, Bogart movie because it's not really the book. They took the title and changed the plot, but it's a really I'll read great the book. book. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, come to Crime Book Club. That's a great one. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you both for taking time out of your day. Thank you, Ming and Shared Universe. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. Thank you so much. Have a great night. We appreciate it.